Neurological and cognitive disorders, as well as mental illness, have long been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and feared. Throughout the years, the American Psychiatric Association has discovered and sometimes removed clinical diagnoses that end up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Each week, my co-host and I will bring you a new disorder and provide you with all the information you need to better understand how the human brain works. This is Psyche Saturday. continue to make our way through the cluster A personality disorders. Today we will be discussing schizoid personality disorder. The DSM-5 characterizes schizoid personality disorder or SCPD, which is going to be really weird for us to keep saying because that's <laughs> our police, police department. <laughs> but anyway, they characterize it as a pervasive pattern of detachment from social relationships and a restricted range of expression of emotions in interpersonal settings. Now, again, remember that all of these personality disorders, you it is required to have a pervasive pattern of it. So if somebody has a tendency towards one of these criteria or these traits, again, it doesn't mean that they have this disorder. It just means that they have a trait and they might be just, you know, like an asshole or something but it doesn't mean that they have this particular disorder. What? Yeah, sometimes people are just dicks. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, more often than not, people are just dicks. Correct. I mean, as we're seeing, and you know, we'll go into it again, but as we're seeing, it, the prevalency of these right. is, is so low in the, in the general population that it, yeah, the majority of people don't have these. Yeah, for our dedicated listeners, they'll know, they'll notice how in the first couple of episodes, I was way off on my ranges. I was like 35%. <laughs> and now I'm like 4.5%. Right. But no, I mean, that's good, though, because I feel like a lot of our listeners probably had the same perception that you did. And I think that that's important because, again, that's what you are here for. You're you're here to to be right on the, the same level the as exactly. So the point of us doing Psyche Saturday is to inform our listeners or someone who might be skeptical about these disorders that they're not as prevalent as we think that they are. And the interesting thing is just that one fact there is an interesting social commentary that, you know, we like to say like, oh, that guy's got something wrong with him. But in reality, it's very few people that actually have something quote unquote wrong with them. Correct. So, you know, we joked that a lot of times they're just a dick, but it statistically speaking, according to the American Psychiatric Association, most of the time that person is just a dick. Correct. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which kind of makes me not really like people much. Even horses. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> just knowing that these people are, like, choosing to do the things that they do. It's right. like, okay, well, right. that makes you even more of a garbage person. Right. Right. You know, you don't have something in your brain telling you to do it. You're just right. like, I don't feel like being a dick today. Like, right. no. Don't, no. Anyway. 
back to <laughs> what we're talking about. So SCPD is indicated by four or more of the following diagnostic criteria. One, neither desires nor enjoys close relationships, including with family. Two, almost always chooses solitary activities. Three, has little, if any, interest in having sexual experiences with another person. Four, takes pleasure in few, if any, activities. Five, lacks close friends. Six, appears indifferent to the praise or criticism of others. And seven, shows emotional coldness, detachment, or flattened affectivity. So in other words, those with schizoid personality disorder can be characterized as loners. They lack a desire for intimacy and are indifferent towards developing close relationships. They tend to prefer mechanical or abstract tasks, such as computer or mathematical games, and almost always choose solitary activities over being part of a group. The DSM-5 also explains that individuals with SCPD may have difficulty expressing anger even when provoked, which contributes to the perception that they lack emotion. Their lives sometimes seem to lack direction, and they may appear to not really have true goals. So it just makes me think of, like, the loner kids in high school. But again, it's not necessarily that they wanted to be in the situation that they were in. These people who have schizoid personality disorder want to be alone. Right. They have no desire to be in any sort of relationship with a friend, family member, lover, anything. They want to be by themselves. And I found a research article that kind of explained a little bit of the difference between schizoid personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder, because antisocial personality disorder, they also don't really have attachments, proper attachments. It's kind of right there in the name. Yes, exactly. With antisocial personality disorder, it generally is that they want to have those attachments, but they can't. They just, they, they don't have the mechanism. With schizoid, they don't want to have those attachments. Right. So that's the difference between those two. And I think that's a really important difference. The, the antisocial people want that connection as human desire needs. We, we evolutionarily speaking, again, we always go into this anthropological aspect of it. Well, usually I go into it. This is a bit of a, I mean, I do a, a little bit, <laughs> but we, we, desire intimacy we desire group settings we want to feel needed and wanted that is all part of our psyche but with schizoid personality disorder they just they don't want that right. they don't they have no desire whatsoever to have those attachments yeah i mean to go even further down the rabbit hole that you started digging there we go <laughs> you we had to humans have this um, psychological need. Oh, haha! Digging. Anthropology, archaeology. Yeah. Dig a little deeper, Ross. Yeah. Um, we developed this need because our predecessors, our simian predecessors, had to be in groups to survive. 
um, because, you know, they're not particularly combat effective. They have no claws. They have teeth that are designed to mash plant matter, not tear flesh. Fruits, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so our, our, our primate ancestors had to be in groups in order to survive. Mm-hmm. The loners just got eaten. Mm-hmm. And so that carries through to today. Exactly. That we desire to be in groups because we still have that in the back of our minds that if we get isolated out in the jungle, we're going to get eaten. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you think about it in today's standards, too, you know, we talk about it all the time, but you can't be the only person helping yourself. You need the help of others. You need support of others, Um, especially for your own mental health. We've talked before on Blackbird, I believe it was. I've talked about how for the vast majority of my life, I was very self-dependent. Right. Um, And I never would talk to anyone about like my feelings or my problems and I would never ask for help. And this was something that I've had to develop later in my life and realize like, hey, wow, this is a hugely valuable tool. Right. The, the people around me, you know, in, and, and almost everyone has someone around them, whether it's family or friends, almost everyone has some kind of help that they can reach out for. Some people don't and that sucks. Um, and to those people, I would just say, just try, you know, go to, go to some kind of social event in your area and just try to make some friends and keep trying. And and even if you fail nine times out of 10, and I've said this, these exact words before, even if you fail nine times out of 10, that just means you have to go 10 times to be successful once. Yeah. And just, just build connections because those connections are tremendously helpful. Yes. You know, even if you don't think that you need other people, that's fine. Just just use it as a tool. I mean, when you think about it, you know, even if it's not like an intimate relationship, when you think about it, you know, you need to network to get ahead in your job, in your career, I mean, in school, anything really, you know. So that's just, that's the world we live in. We need to make connections in order to achieve success and to grow as people and as a society. So... It's important for us to make those those connections and attachments. And it's especially important, as we mentioned, for our mental health to make those attachments. The thing about the, the individuals who have schizoid personality disorder, again, they don't even want to. They have no desire to even be close to another person. They want to be on their own. So it kind of puts them in a difficult situation because it's not even like they 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 are not like others in the sense that they they, you know, they don't want to be around other people as everybody else does. And, you know, there are, of course, introverts who will say, like, I don't want to be around people. I don't like people. But again, that doesn't mean that they have a disorder. (laughs) And I was and I was going to mention that there are some people who just so first of all, there are some people who just prefer to be alone. Yeah. And that's fine. And like I said, I would advise that you make some connections. You don't live your entire life alone. But there are some people who just prefer to be alone. Um, Period. And then there are people who prefer to be alone because, and this is a hard one for people to admit, it's difficult sometimes to maintain social relationships. And so there are people who just say, well, you know, F it. It's not worth the effort. Yeah. And then going up one level, there are people who have been hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. 
in social relationships yeah. and have decided, well, it's definitely not worth it because the last time I got screwed. Yeah. And not in a good way. They kind of become... <laughs> They kind of become numb to to having right. relationships. Right. And, so and there are there people. are a number of reasons why a person can end up being a recluse, being yeah. a social socially isolated person. Absolutely. Other than mental or psychological disorder. Correct. Right. Right. A true disorder. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you know, again, we always have to tell you guys to keep in mind that while there are people who have traits that fit the criteria, if they don't have four or more of them and it is not pervasive, then they don't suffer from this disorder. They might just be a loner. They might just be an introvert. They might just want to be on their own. But you can see with a lot of those people, you know, at least for the introverts that I know, they still hold relationships. They still have familial relationships. They still see, you know, their cousins. They still get together with their brothers or sisters. It's these these individuals, the ones that have this this SCPD, don't even want to have relationships with their family. They don't even want to be around the ones that probably show them the most support. I mean, that we're we're supposed to show our family the most support. So again, it's a very different dynamic than just being an introvert, just wanting to have alone time. And right. it is important to have alone time. We've talked about that before. It's important to understand who you are and what you're about and, and get inside your own head and really learn about yourself. But it's also incredibly important to reach out to others. Yeah, we were just talking about that in reference to Johnny Rose. Yes. <laughs> you just, you need that balance. It, 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 everything in life is about balance. Yes, it's absolutely. The, it's the yin and the yang. That's another lesson that I learned at one point in my life. When I was growing up, I was very much, I don't want to say an extremist, but I was very much the kind of person that thought that there was always more that you could push, that there was always a, a, an ideal direction to push in. And eventually, as I grew up, I realized that that's not necessarily the case, that there is balance. It's sometimes... It's good to push for one thing for a little while and then relax back and go in the other direction. So, you know, one thing that people, especially Americans, especially New Yorkers, tend to get caught up in is this idea that you have to always, always be pushing, pushing, pushing towards one thing. Yeah. And that's not really the case. Nope. Almost always. Nope. All right. So... How many people truly suffer from schizoid personality disorder? I wanted to say 4.2%, but I feel like it's lower. Okay. I feel Because this is... So in the general populace. Yeah. I want... I, so the number 4.2 and 2.6 is in my head, so I'm going to pretty much split the difference and say 3%. Okay. So according to the National Comorbidity Survey Replication, the prevalence is about 4.9%. Oh. And according to the 2001-2002 National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions, and they're the big one. They're the one that does like all of these ep epidemiological studies on everything. Uh, the prevalence is as low as 3.1%. Ah, all right. So See, guys, I'm getting better at this. Yes. Good job, babe. <laughs> good job. 
But what does this mean for criminal behavior? Where do you want to go with that? Mm, okay, so the question is what percentage of people with diagnosis, yeah. with a diagnosis, present with criminal... With violent criminal with behavior. With violent criminal yeah. behavior. Yeah. So because of the disorder and because it tends to isolate, I'm going to guess on the low side... And I'm going to say that people who are diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder, 11% of them will show evidence of violent criminal behavior. Okay. And for those who are already in prison populations who have committed violent criminal okay. acts... The contrapositive question. Yes. How many people who have violent criminal convictions show signs of schizoid personality disorder? Correct. See, and this is one of the hardest ones to look at because there are, we talk about this all the time about how many, how, how often people are just jerks. Yes. And so most of the, most of the prison population are just a-holes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no offense. Well, I guess offense after you're in jail. <laughs> um... <laughs> So most of them are just a-holes. They're not, they don't necessarily have a diagnosis. So I'm going to say let's chop 90% right off the top. And that, that caps us out at 10%. And so I'm going to split the middle and say 5% of people with violent criminal convictions for violent criminal behavior present with, and that's still too high, 3.5%. Final answer. So you're going to say it's as prevalent as, or as low, I should say, as the general population. That's a good point. <laughs> Let's go back to my 5%. Final, final answer. Okay. <laughs> Doctors Pillay, Dawson, Hassin, Goldstein, Huang, Chow, Grant, et al. And I'm... I, I, That's I, a lot of owls. I did that on purpose to show everybody how many doctors are on this research paper. Because <laughs> I want to make sure everybody understands that the research that we find is from, like, legitimate MDs, DOs, and PhDs. So there's a lot of doctors on this one. And they came from, like, a whole bunch of different schools. So they examined the results from the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions in 2008 to create a literature review encompassing the correlations found between psychiatric disorders and violent crime. What they found was that increased rates of violent behavior were observed among those with major depressive disorder, bipolar 1 and 2 disorders, as well as personality disorders, including schizoid, histrionic, paranoid, and obsessive compulsive. They posit that the emotional and relational detachment of someone with SCPD may make it easier for them to commit violent acts without feelings of remorse. Furthermore, uh, this Greek dude, Apostolopoulos... This Greek dude. Apostolopoulos. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Apostolopoulos. Apostolopoulos et al.'s 2018 study of personality disorders among violent criminals in Greek prisons concurs with this original hypothesis. They found that the likelihood of committing a violent crime was significantly greater among those with SCPD. Of those incarcerated for violent offenses... 50% of them were diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. A study by Kossin et al. 
also posits that SCPD is closely related to antisocial personality disorder for the same reasons as stated above. Novavitch et al.'s 2012 study also elaborates on this. Their case study of one individual in Finland who had committed parricide, which is the murder of a parent or other close relative, found that the individual in question had been diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder and was likely going through a peritraumatic dissociation at the time he committed the murders of both his parents. The offender stated he had seen a shadow perpetuating the crimes against his mother and father as he sat and watched. And lastly, Koch et al.'s 2011 study of homicidal and non-homicidal sexual offenders found that of the 166 homicidal sexual offenders, 16.3% of them were diagnosed with SCPD. And of the 56 non-homicidal sexual offenders, 5.4% of them were diagnosed with SCPD. So these studies are all over the map. All over the map. So we have a young man who kills his parents. He claims he was sitting and watching essentially himself as a shadow figure. So he was... He was almost going through, like like they said, a dissociative state, which is another part of of this whole thing. It could, you know, you don't, the hallucinations and all of that. Right. Which correct me if I'm wrong, but, but schizoaffective gives you hallucinations. Yes. It's one of the. Schizoaffective is one of the um, disorders on the schizophrenia spectrum. Right. It's not a personality disorder. No, I understand. But I'm saying. Yes. uh, One of the, one of the clinical symptoms is hallucinations. Right. Then we have this this Greek study where it's showing that 50% of those who committed violent offenses have schizoid personality disorder. And then we have this study here showing that of homicidal sexual offenders. Now, like, that's a very specific crime. 16% of them were diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder and then of those that were non-homicidal sexual offenders we have 5.4 percent so it seems as though as the crime becomes more violent the rate of having this disorder increases that necessarily sexual offenders don't show the same prevalence as someone who has murdered someone Right. So I think, you know, uh, I think unfortunately one of the things that we run into anytime we're talking about psychiatric and psychological research is just a limited amount of data and a limited amount of uh, verified and vetted data. And unfortunately what that leads to is these wild fluctuations in numbers. You know, it's, it's like if you ask just the people at work, how many of you like spaghetti and meatballs and you're just asking 30 or 40 people, you might get only three of them that say they like spaghetti and meatballs. That doesn't mean only 10% of the population likes the dish. Right. Um, you know, as anyone who's in statistics or, or research knows, the larger your sample size, the better. Correct. 
So I think, unfortunately, especially when we start to really, really narrow the criteria of our search in psychological and psychiatric research, we run into this issue where we're getting a lot of outliers that are considered valid data, and so they skew the results a lot. I mean, like, I would have a hard time believing that if you had some kind of God-level study where you literally knew for sure what percentage of violent offenders had uh, schizoaffective disorder, or... Um, Schizoid personality. Schizoid personality disorder that you would end up with a 50% number. Right. Like, that's cl that, that number is clearly incorrect. Um, but again, that study is just, unfortunately, shackled by a limited amount of data available. And then another point that I wanted to make is that this is, this is an example of why meta-analysis is an important field of research. Because you can take all these studies that, in their own right, are perfectly valid studies. They're done by professionals. They're done with perhaps a decent set of data, but they come to these various conclusions. And the idea is that you have to look at each and every study in an area and meld them all together to come to a more generalized conclusion. Right. It's, it's interesting to me because this does not have a lot of research behind it, this personality disorder. You know, we see in things like antisocial personality disorder or um, borderline personality disorder that there's a lot of research behind those types of personality disorders. The ones that we don't hear about often enough, we hardly have any research behind. So I think it makes people more scared because they don't understand what's actually behind it. So with the especially with the cluster A's, we, we don't hear about them often. And when we hear schizoid, people already are thinking, oh, this person has hallucinations and delusions. They're they're murderous. They're, you know, which isn't the case. So there needs to be much more research done to look into what schizoid personality personality disorder really looks like and what it really looks like when it comes to the criminal population. Because there are also comorbidities, there are other um, personality disorders that they suffer from at the same time. You know, they're not, they're possibly not just suffering from one personality disorder. They could be, they could have multiple personality disorders, they could have depression, anxiety, bipolar. I mean, like, th they could have schizophrenia, they could have a multitude of psychiatric disorders working against one another. Right. And I was and I was going to say, you know, the thing is a lot of modern psychiatry is really trying to understand a derived quantity of something that we really don't understand in the first place, which is the human brain. Yes. And we've talked about this before on the podcast about how the human brain is such a simple thing and yet you know, and there's a lot of neurology that says, okay, this is this is Brokey's area, this is Wernicke's area, this is this is your you know your prefrontal cortex. We 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 think we have a pretty good grasp on it, but really, any any neurologist worth their salt will tell you, like, no, we really don't we don't have the brain unlocked. We don't understand what's going on in there, and so that's the neurology. From there, you then derive the psychiatry and mm -hmm. the psychology. Right. So when we're talking about psychiatric research and psychological research, we're talking about something which is based on deriving conclusions from another thing which we're not entirely certain of. Right. So it's a guess based on a guess, effectively. Right. It's a hypothesis based on a hypothesis. Exactly. So like you said, you know, we try to we try to find reasons for people's aberrant behavior and 
it's it's hard to say why and so it's it's there's a lot of gray area there's a lot of like well you can't say this person has this psychiatric disorder period close the file right a lot of times it's well they show some of this yes. and they show some of that and then you review the file a year later or six months later and you're like well actually i'm kind of seeing this too yep. and maybe not so much of this and then you look at the file again a year later and then, oh, well, the person's actual behavior has changed because the human mind is dynamic. So it's like not only are you continuously updating your understanding of the data that you've got, but you're now being fed data which looks different. Right. So in truth, you know, the job of, of a psychiatric scientist, someone who's the people who are writing the DSM, that's a really, really difficult job. Yes. <laughs> to be to be certain about it. I mean I would imagine that if I were if I were on the team that was responsible for revising the DSM I would go home every night like I don't freaking know what we got done today. <laughs> like honestly, do, do you feel comfortable, yeah. Bob? No, no I don't. Right. We just did the best that we could. Right. <laughs> I mean that's li literally what I'm studying right now. Um you know, obviously my my masters is is forensic medicine, so we don't really delve too much into the um the psyche in that, but my certificate program is psychiatric epidemiology. Psychiatric epidemiology is all about studying the statistics of psychiatric disorders and and public health. So what we're seeing in society and how prevalent certain psychiatric disorders are. So I'm literally in this every single day. And I can tell you just from that bird... <laughs> Right. Right. He has something to say. He does have something. He wants to, to participate. Just from doing grand rounds and reading these articles and watching these videos, and now the numbers are already there. This is what we're watching in grand rounds. The numbers are already there. I can I can tell you that for most of it, we still have discussions in class that are going like I don't understand why that number came about. I don't understand why this research did what it did. I don't understand why they didn't find this in their research or why they didn't conduct it this way or why why are the methods this. There are so many questions still out there about this kind of thing. We would spend the rest of eternity doing proper research to find different numbers all over the place. Right. It's it's just it's 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 not an exact science. And we have to understand that and we have to take everything, all of these numbers with a grain of salt. You know, we can say that, you know, the prevalence is 4% of the general population. And yeah, that's generally correct. You know, we see in different studies, though, that it ranges from 3% to 6% and maybe somewhere it might be up to 10%. But then, you know, maybe we'll average that out and we'll say, OK, it's approximate. But that's also why we do estimates, why we do approximations why we do different sample sizes, why we do different demographics. I mean, there's so much. And that's why anytime you see a statistical analysis, you'll see what's called a p-value, which states how strongly the researchers are committed to the conclusion. Right. You know, if you've got a p-value of 0 0.05, you're pretty good. You're pretty you good, know? right, but, exactly. You know, you can come to a conclusion and say, like, look, this is the best that we could do based on the available evidence. Right. And we're pretty sure this is right or like, eh, you know, but exactly. it's the best that you, it's the best that you can do. It's what we got from our <laughs> statistics, from our yeah. research. Exactly. So, 
that's why I like literature reviews, um, because I'm going on a tangent now and I'm sorry, but like literature reviews take into account a bunch of different studies that have been done and sees if there is correlation between what they all say. So it, it still provides limitations. It still explains, you know, we, we still don't have this demographic or we still don't have a sample size that's large enough to really get a, a, a distinctive. By the way, that is the blackbird number. (laughs) (laughs) He has joined. (laughs) Finally. Um, so again, you know, we give you these numbers and we give you these these research articles, but nothing is definitive. Nothing is definitive. Right. Yeah, it's it's I don't want to say the word heuristic, but it's a it's a derived science. Yes. It, it it's the kind of thing that no one, even the most accomplished psychiatrist can tell you, "Oh, 100% this is what it is. You, you just can't. You know, people often think that that's the case with anyone who has doctor before their name. That this person knows what they're talking about. This person spent all that money going to school so they can give me an answer. Bam. This is what it is. But the fact is, even in medicine, which is fairly well understood at this point, uh, even in medicine, there are a lot of times when a doctor will tell you, I, I can't tell you exactly what's going on. Yeah. I can tell you what the numbers are in all your tests. I can tell you what I'm pretty sure it is, but I can't tell you for certain. You know, we don't have some kind of full body scanner which tells you exactly what's going on at the at the quantum level with every single quark in your body. Like we just we just don't know. Right. And so yeah, when you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they're giving you their best guess and a lot of times it's a pretty good guess, you know, these people especially when you've been doing it for long enough. Psychiatry yes. is the kind of thing that really benefits from experience. Yes. The longer you've been doing it, the, the more patients you've dealt with, the more you can kind of build a build a repertoire in your head and figure out, okay, when I've seen this in the past, this is what has worked for people. But you can't say for sure that just because I'm paying this person to help me, they're going to absolutely give me a 100% perfect answer. That's just not the case. Right. Ever. Right. Even if you bring your car into the shop, they're not, you're not going to get a brand new car out of the shop unless you paid them 40 grand and And they literally sold your car and bought a brand new one. We hear people say all the time, you know, I was misdiagnosed, especially when it comes to psychiatric disorders when you go to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And my answer to that is, oh, okay, I'm not surprised. Well, and I don't know if it's necessarily a misdiagnosis. I think it's just somebody saw something different than the next person saw. You know, these are all subjective diagnoses. There's not a scale that they can look at, like a blood test that shows, oh, okay, they have high levels of... um personality disorder in the you know like they can test for things like serotonin concentration in the blood right like there's very little that you can do in the way of numbered tests right and what (sighs) is considered a pervasive pattern to one might not be considered a pervasive pattern to another um and maybe some of the traits that they're showing are more signs of a different personality disorder to one psychiatrist versus another psychiatrist. And, you know, this is also why there are consultants. This is why there are doctors who 
consult with one another and say, hey, you know, my patient did this and has been coming to me with these complaints and has been telling me that they're having these hallucinations or whatever it is. Have you seen a patient with similar, you know, what what was your tactic? How did you treat this patient? What did you feel was the the correct diagnosis? Our brains are so different from one another. It's extremely difficult to pinpoint, okay, yeah, you definitely have this one thing. I mean, if it's something like depression or anxiety, you know, those are really those are going to manifest in very particular ways and it, it's a little bit easier to diagnose those things. But when it comes to personality disorders, when a lot of them are overlapping or when a lot of them have, you know, like these, like cluster A can be seen as similar to the schizophrenia spectrum. So is somebody suffering from schizophrenia or do they have a personality disorder in the cluster A group or do they have both or do they have all three cluster A personality disorders? Right. Right. Like we said, it's it's really... It's so subjective. Yeah, it's not like there's a, a one cell in your brain that makes you schizophrenic and another cell in your brain that makes you this and another cell in your brain that makes you that. And if the cell is on, you have the thing. Right. It's really... There's a lot of gray area. That's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of amalgamation of neurological factors as well as environmental factors yeah. that go into... The end result, which is an individual's behavior. Because at the end of the day, that's what psychology is principally concerned with, is is, is a person's behavior. Correct. What are you doing that's potentially damaging to yourself and to others? Correct. So with that, there are not very many people who have publicly been diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. And I think that's because, again, they're loner. They don't really, like, stand out in the public eye. You know, they're not they're not actors and actresses. And, and you know, those aren't that right. those aren't right. the type of people that we see having this type of personality disorder. So for me, it was quite difficult to find an actual list. But one person worth mentioning is John Hinckley, Jr., who attempted to assassinate President Ronald Reagan in 1981 in order to impress Jodie Foster. He was diagnosed with SCPD by a forensic psychiatrist testifying for the prosecution at his trial. So, again, take that with a grain of salt, because I believe that he was also diagnosed with other disorders as well. And the fact that he was doing this to impress Jodie Foster makes me believe that he probably had some sort of delusional aspect as well, which is not what goes along with schizoid personality disorder. So he may have had schizoid personality disorder, but also had something else with it. So again, take it with a grain of salt, but uh, at least a forensic psychiatrist did diagnose him with that. And when he got to... Uh, the forensic hospital, he was treated for schizotypal personality disorder, which is what we'll cover not next week, because next week is the Halloween episode. So we'll be doing a different style of Psyche Saturday with the following, and that's the last cluster A. 
So we'll see if there is a correlation between schizotypal and schizoid and like how they relate to one another as well. If there's if there's any crossover or overlap in their in their traits, um, because if he was treated for one but was diagnosed with another, I'm not really sure why that would why that would be. So I don't know if maybe when he got to the facility, he was then diagnosed with schizotypal rather than schizoid. So, again, take it with a grain of salt. But as always, it should be noted that there is actually a very small percentage of people who have psychiatric disorders who become violent criminals, as we have mentioned. What Psyche Saturday is all about is demonstrating to our listeners that these correlations are quite infrequent among the general population. And with that, it has been speculated that some incredible minds within many different fields may have tapped into this disorder. I shouldn't really say many different fields. I'm going to say science. <laughs> um, people have speculated that the following people that I'm going to mention may have had schizoid personality disorder. But they were never diagnosed, so do not take it as scripture. This is just speculation. Sigmund Freud, Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, and Albert Einstein. Einstein surprises me, because he was a very social guy. Um, Sigmund Freud doesn't surprise me even a little bit. Nope. Um, Bill Gates... Surprises me a little bit. Yeah, I'm kind um, of on the fence about Bill Gates. I'm on the face, fence about Bill Gates. Stephen Hawking, I don't think, surprises me. I, I, I put him in the same camp as Bill Gates. Okay. Obviously, you know, nerd, somebody who spends their time in books and on computers. But honestly, a pretty social guy. Um, and then especially Einstein was a very social guy. Yeah. So that surprises me. He's the one that I have found on many lists. Einstein. Hmm, he was like the top of the lists on very on a few different ones. So I yeah, I found that to be extremely interesting as well. Now, he may have been a social guy because he wanted to experiment. Maybe he wanted to see you know, do some sort of like social experimenting in 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 his um mathematics. What did he Principally mathematics. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he was, he, he was a standard nerd. He, yes. Yeah. He may, <laughs> he may have had interest in, in, in social dynamics as well, mm -hmm. but principally he was a mathematician. Yes. Right. So, I mean, you know, we, we don't, we don't know these people personally, so it's, it's not an easy thing to say. Um, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go out and say that Freud is not at all surprising to me. Not even a little. Like I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. if he truly did have schizoid personality disorder. There were other people on the list too, which I I thought were um it, Mary Todd Lincoln was on the list, which I thought was really really interesting. Not surprised, <laughs> honestly. Um there were some other people and it just it it you know, again, these could just have been introverts. Right. We don't know for sure. Right. Especially when you're talking about... Historical figures. Right. <laughs> because not only is there not that much data, but the value of data collected 150 years ago is pretty questionable. 
you know, as as someone who studies history, it's funny because it's one of those things that you look back and anytime you're talking about something that you think people know really well that happened in 300 BC, you're like, this could be entirely nonsense at this point. Yes. You like to say, no, this is what it was. This is what they did. But it's like, do we really know? Because we're going based off of a clay tablet that survived an explosion that was written by a guy who lived 500 years after it happened. And it was then curated by a religious institution that had their own motivations. And then it made its way into a museum for the next thousand years until somebody uncovered it in the sands in Turkey where it stayed for the next 500 years, and now some guy in 1912 read it, and it's like, eh. So, yeah. The take, further, take it with a grain of salt. The further back <laughs> in time you go, the larger the grain of salt you yes. have to take it with. Yes. I also thought it was interesting because um, I'm pretty sure I also saw that John Wilkes Booth may have suffered from schizoid personality. Not even a little surprised. So it's just interesting to me that Mary Todd Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth are kind of yeah. um, on the same on the same level there with a with a disorder that is not very prevalent. So yeah. I just thought that was interesting. As a general rule, when you see people who distinguish themselves, you have to assume that there's at least some degree of increased probability to which this person presents with some kind of disorder. In the sense that, you know, they say geniuses are eccentric and it's true. Because if you're a totally run-of-the-mill average person, statistically speaking, you're probably going to have a totally run-of-the-mill average life. And that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to talk smack on those people. But I'm just saying the more normal, quote-unquote, you are, the more normal a life you're going to have. And thus, right. the less you're going to stand out into a crowd. Right. So whether that's positive or negative, I mean, we talked about Elon Musk on one of the other podcasts. Yes. Clearly, there's something atypical about that guy. Correct. And he has become one of the most successful people in human history yep. doing a thing that pretty much no one has ever done before. Maybe we can throw him on this list. Uh, <laughs> let me think. He doesn't really tend to... I mean, he does have he does have a girlfriend, wife, fiance? He has a wife and he a is child. Married. Oh, he has a child. Yes, with... Okay. Like a very strange name. It's like XQC Pi Ampersand 12 or something like that. Probably is. Yeah. Uh, and he's married to a very eccentric individual. Well, um, the cluster A personality disorders are characterized as eccentric. So maybe yeah. she has one too. And I'm not, we're not psychiatrists. I'm not diagnosing right. Hashtag them. Hashtag not psychiatrist i'm just saying that maybe we're know? just saying the, the so the point that i was trying to make though is that to drastically oversimplify things you got to be a little nuts to be known you know achilles is one of the most well-known names in history and he was stone cold crazy yeah he was batshit and but that was the point that was the point of of greek heroism in the heroic age you know in, in the bronze age was they wanted their name to be known so they just did all the craziest stuff they could imagine just so that three thousand years later people would be talking about them and we are yes okay so elon was married to an author justine wilson they separated in 2008 Oh, and their first 
son died of SIDS at 10 weeks. I did not realize that. Oh. Uh, they later had five sons. Oh, wow. <laughs> via um, IVF. Uh, twins in 2004, followed by triplets in 2006. They share custody of the five sons. So in 2008, he began dating Tallulah Riley. In 2010, they got married. Uh, they ended their relationship in 2012. They remarried in 2013. He filed for a second divorce in 2014. The action was withdrawn. Divorce proceedings were again underway in 2016 when she filed for divorce. And they finalized the divorce in late 2016. He is now dating... Canadian musician Grimes, who looks like she's 12. So now I need to find out how old she is because, okay, she's 32. She looks like she's 12. In January, she was, she announced she was pregnant with their first child, gave birth in May. And so they named the child... It's pronounced X-A-12. The name was deemed illegal under California law because it contained characters that are not in the modern English alphabet and was then changed to basically the same thing. This drew more confusion as A-E, the A that's connected yeah, to the E. Yeah, the digraph. Is not a letter in modern English. The child was eventually named... X-A-E-A-X-I-I with X as a first name and A-E-A-X-I-I as a middle name. So the name is X-A-S-H-A-12. And it's spelled... Right. Eccentric. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he can't really hold down relationships, clearly. So right. maybe there's, oh, there's something there. Definitely some stuff. We could make a whole series of podcasts on him. And keep in mind, we're not trying to talk smack. Elon no, is my dude. We love Elon Musk. But I would love, 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 love. Joe Rogan had him. We should see I if he'll come on our podcast. And we should just pick his brain. I would love to. For like eight hours. I would love All to All you have... gotta do is roll a blunt, and apparently he will just go. I... I mean, we don't... Ha gummies? Will, will gummies work on we him? We can get some stuff, don't worry. I know people. <laughs> I know we know people. Um, no, I would love to pick that man's brain. He's... Yeah. he's. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at one point we're going to... At some point we're going to talk about A Beautiful Mind, uh, the movie, and, you know. Um, it, it just... He... He's one of those. I mean, we talked about him before. Like, he's just one of those people that, like, I want to get inside his head. Yeah. Like, what is in there? Because you want to... Just... The thing is, when you talk about... And th this isn't a tangent, I promise. When you talk about people who are atypical psychiatrically, the idea is you want to find out what it is that's working so well and what it is that's working poorly. Yes. So that we can potentially help humanity forward you know we want people who can design and conceptualize as well as elon musk can while still being able to maintain maybe a less erratic lifestyle right um i mean imagine if everyone who started a business 
became as successful as Elon Musk. And I don't mean successful financially, because F that. Dirty capitalists. Um, I mean successful in terms of actually producing progress, producing technologies, producing things which drive human development forward. Imagine if every business owner could come up with freaking SpaceX. Yeah. Without having to have 12 wives and a child who is unquestionably going to need therapy. Again, no offense, I'm just stating a fact. And that's the point of true psychiatry. It's not just to charge you $275 an hour. It's to A, make people healthier, but it's also to push towards this ideal where we can maybe improve the human race. Exactly. I mean, that's why I plan to go into it. It's not necessarily... I mean, it's somewhat to, you know, make $200 an hour, but... (laughs) Yeah, because shit is expensive in Suffolk County. Median home price is $575,000 in Suffolk County. Yeah, I mean, we have have plans to stay here, so I need to make money to, to be able to live here. As it stands, we make over six figures and... We don't own We can shit. hardly <laughs> make it here. Okay. Tangent. Anyway. Tangent. So with all of that said, we don't normally do this, but I do want to briefly discuss a film essay I found during my research because I thought that you would find this to be interesting because they're all movies that we... Movies. It sounded like I said boobies because I think my nose just got stuffed Perfect. for a second. They are all movies that we have seen... Not all together, but they're fantastic films. So the International Journal of Psychoanalysis published this essay in 2012 regarding the films Shutter Island, Inception, and Memento in relation to narcissism and schizoid personality disorder. And the essay begins by explaining that these films dabble in what they call double consciousness that could be characteristic of schizoid tendencies. And if you have not seen any of these movies, I do not want to give too much away, so I'm not going to spoil anything, and I'm not really going to like go into what the film essay says, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to give spoilers. But see all of these movies, because, my God, they are phenomenal films. Um, so go see them. See what you think about this double consciousness. And then see if you if you agree with the possibility of the the schizoid tendencies. So pretty different movies uh, from a psychological standpoint. Um, Would you say that any of them maybe show some sort of schizoid tendencies? Clearly, Shutter Island, obviously, uh, Memento, schizoid tendencies, probably, probably. Um, yeah, at least in ta- in terms of the where it's related to like kind of an antisocial thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Inception, no. Okay. No. <laughs> Inception is okay. a fan friggin'tastic movie. Absolutely phenomenal. But I wouldn't but... say that any of them, any of the main characters, demonstrate any signs of schizoid personality disorder. Okay. Um, but for sure, Shutter Island, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, such such a good movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just see those movies, and if you if you haven't already, or if you even if you have, watch them again. Watch them again. <laughs> um, Shutter Island's actually a great movie to watch right now. It's perfect for spooky season. So maybe we'll do a fake psychologist's real spouses podcasts 
Oh my where God. we rewatch movies. <laughs> well, um, hold that thought because then I, we'll have something to mention at the end. So, um, really quickly, obviously, as we say all the time, this this wouldn't be a Psyche Saturday without going into the neuroscience. But like I mentioned, there's hardly any research, especially when it comes to neuroscience and neurobiology, um, with SCPD. But uh, I was able to find one research article, one research article. Mm entitled Association of Polymorphisms of Dopamine D2 Receptor and Dopamine Transporter Genes with Schizoid-slash-Avoidant Behaviors. And within this article, Blum et al. explain that there is a link between the dopamine D2 receptor TAC-A and schizoid-avoidant behavior. So dopamine is known as one of the feel-good neurotransmitters that plays into the reward system in the brain, and extra dopamine is released when we are being rewarded by something we truly enjoy, like a drug. It puts you in a reward-seeking loop and entices you to continue to want that reward from the drug to which you are addicted or cheese. Cheese has been shown to be addictive in this same way. <laughs> I mean, ain't that the truth? It's, it's totally Especially the for truth. you. Especially for me. And I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> so it's, it's hard. Um, their research found that the DRD2A1 allele was found in 50% of schizoid participants the DAT1 allele was found in 72% of schizoid participants, and the D-beta-HB1 allele was found in 81.3% of schizoid participants. They explained that while those with SCPD tend to be non-effective, depersonalized, and self-deserting, it is indicated that a significant number of probands tend to alleviate the symptoms of dysphoria by seeking out pleasure through outrageous acts of violence. So essentially, they do not get much pleasure from many things in life and therefore have to revert to extreme means in order to feel that rush and reward. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's a common driver of, um, especially amongst people who are not diagnosable, that's a common driver of extreme behaviors is that people, I mean, we were talking about why astronauts become astronauts yep. because- normal challenges are so boring to them that they have to like freaking go to space yep. in a metal tube exactly with a controlled explosion behind them so yeah i mean that happens a lot of time in fact in uh in schenectady a place <laughs> beyond the pines incredible movie you should see that too such a good movie anybody from new york knows why i call that movie schenectady um well not anybody anybody who's a huge nerd and like looked up the etymology of the words um he is a clear example of someone who is driven to this constant need for shinies. Yeah. Uh, he, he lives his life. I'm not giving too many spoilers. He lives his life seeking thrills and the course that his life takes in the movie is just because he's bored with everyday thrills that most people would consider pretty freaking crazy but to him this has become boring yeah and so he has to embark on this journey that he embarks on through the movie we should watch that movie again yeah we'll do that on the fake psychologist real friends podcast so thank you for bringing that up again because (laughs) so next week we are going to take a break from our normal psyche saturday and bring you a different kind of psyche saturday and yeah so it's going to be fake psychiatrists real spouses what do you call us real at first i said spouses and then i chose to go friends so that we can involve the whole oh (laughs) 
Yes, go watch fake watch fake go doctors real friends. Listen to fake doctors real friends with Donald Faison and Zach Braff. Yes, hilarious. If you are a Scrubs fan, you need to you need to listen even to if it. you're not. It's just funny. It is, but it especially is if you're a Scrubs fan. Okay, we're going on another tangent. But anyway, so next week for Halloween, our Psyche Saturday is actually going to be a film review, and it's going to be about the movie Split. Right, that's what it was called. Yes. With James McAvoy. I always want to call him Jonathan Rhys Myers, and I don't know why. James McAvoy, and I love him, and I don't know why I can't ever actually, like, say his name properly. He looks like a person with three names. Right? And yes, I mean serial killer. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we're going to watch Split, and we've actually never seen Split. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie, and it kind of goes... It's like a sequel-ish to um, Unbreakable. There's, like... It, it, there's this whole... Um, universe that these movies are are intertwined into um story arc sure yes exactly if you have not seen unbreakable go see that movie too because holy crap that's a fantastic movie the great thing about unbreakable is that unbreakable came out before any of these marvel movies before quote-unquote superhero movies were a thing yeah that's what makes unbreakable great i love unbreakable because it's not your typical superhero-esque movie and it's very it's it's more real than what the the marvel movies do and i love the marvel movies so don't get me wrong i love i love a good superhero movie but so anyway so we are going to watch split and we are going to um do some research about dissociative identity disorder and um see if the movie got it right basically and uh, so if you guys like what we're doing on that episode, we will potentially continue doing that on special episodes of Psyche Saturday where, yeah, we kind of we watch movies and discuss the psychiatric implications and see if they got it right. So next week, let us know if you enjoy that kind of episode. So that's it with Psyche Saturday for today. And that's schizoid personality disorder. It was another good one. Really good one. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Because I don't know much about the cluster A disorder. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do these. And we have one more cluster A and that'll come uh, the week after Halloween. Um, and that's schizotypal. And then we'll start with cluster C. And of course, if you guys have any suggestions of what you want to hear about, you know, the DSM is a very, very, very large book. There are many, many psychiatric and neurocognitive disorders to go through. So if you guys have any suggestions of what you want to hear early on, please let us know. You can email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com. And uh, of course, you can find all of our socials and all of our podcast platforms on our link tree at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash blackbirdadvocacy. And... I'm pretty sure I have our story set for our pod VCon, the holiday one episode or live episode. So that's going to be really interesting and um, kind of morbid for the holidays. But I think that's what you're all here for anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. And then we're going to have a special Halloween episode of uh, Blackbird as well. So uh, you're going to get a twofer on Halloween. Ooh, yeah. Scary. Yeah. So, um, Join 
facebook.com slash groups slash podvcom, P-O-D-V-C-O-M-M, so that you can get all of the information about the virtual convention that is coming in December. And you'll get to see all of the amazing podcasters that will be participating. And we are super excited. We have over 30 podcasters. And I believe that has now doubled what we had in August at our first convention. So we are extremely, extremely excited about this this convention that's coming up. And we have some great panels also um, that uh, a lot of those podcasters are going to be part of as well. So that's it. We'll see you tomorrow for our uh, Blackbird. Adios, amigos.